Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. How could anybody have sympathy with one of the world's greatest players? who's decided that it's in his best interest to employ Charlie Kane as his sole representative. <laughs> Hi guys, Jack Greenish here. Uh, delighted to say that I've signed a new deal. Which he accepted with one proviso. <laughs> Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are back. A new season, new excitement, new hope. Emmy Badia is injured, Nolly Watkins is injured. Here we fucking go again. <laughs> there was so much happening at the Villa over the last few weeks. I just thought we're better off not jumping in with a podcast because things were changing minute by minute. And let's be honest, things were very emotional out there and they were very raw too. Jack Grealish is gone. There, I said it. Jack Grealish is gone. Liam, I bet you never thought you'd miss Dean Smith saying he hopes Grealish will be fit for the next game. <laughs> uh, like I, I haven't, I haven't brought myself to unfollow him just yet uh, on social media. It's like, like genuinely, it's like a breakup from a long-term relationship. I. I'll tell you what a supportive girlfriend I have. I was talking to her about how this feels like a breakup from a long-term relationship. And, you know, I, I'm still watching him. I'm, I'm hoping that he's not happy, but I don't want him to not be happy either. I just want them to miss us enough. I don't want his life to be miserable. I want them to realize that he made a mistake and come back. And But I also want to see him do well because, and I mean this in the most innocent way possible, as you should in any relationship, but I felt like I had some ownership over him. You know, like I, I said he was hotter way before anybody else did. You know, so <laughs> I, I don't want to just sort of give up on him now and turn me back on him and let everybody else reap the rewards of my call, my first call. But there is an element to all this, like, and you can't get away from it. It's, it's Man City. You know, it's it's basically, you left me for that. 
you know, this this is the guy you've chosen. And you can go through anything. Like the crowds, there were more crowds at Villa's open training session on Saturday than there were at Wembley for a cup final. Okay, it was a community shield cup final of Man City supporters. Like this this is what you get from Man City. Like it's a soulless club, no great history. They were behind Villa only a decade ago. And they couldn't even get they couldn't even get a pair of different colour shorts for the new kit. It's just <laughs> Sky blue as well. Like I think we knew one day Jack Grealish would go. We hoped that Villa's project would accelerate to at a pace so fast that he wouldn't have to go. But we probably always thought that he will go. But I think we always just hoped that it wouldn't be Man City. We said this loads, just not Man City, not Chelsea. But there we have it. He's, he's gone to Man City, and he did. I assume by mistake, use the words "dream come true." Yeah, season Liam. <laughs> it must have been a dream come true a lifetime ambition to join a club that was formed 13 years ago whenever <laughs> Jack Grealish was 13 years of age and it, of, of all the players that I've loved and have brought me joy Jack Grealish is the one that I have the greatest adoration for and who's delivered the most highlights I mean step through them beating Liverpool in the FA Cup semi-final the 10 game winning run the championship the winner against Birmingham after being punched in the back of the head the goal against West Ham to keep us in the league, seven two win against Liverpool, the goal against Man United, multiple volleys into the top corner. But just watching him play, the joy he brings to the game is confidence and ambition on the ball. And getting to watch him play every week. And you've talked about this before. Aston Villa having the best player on the pitch in every game was joyous for the last three years. Mm. And I'll always be grateful for that. But look, if we went to the whole end all season together and went for a bite, a bite to eat and pints after the game every Saturday and you regaled me with anecdotes and entertained me every night, I'd be thankful for that too. I'd love you. I'd spend all summer telling anyone who'd listen that you were the man. You were so fucking sound, so entertaining. And anyone who didn't realise that was an idiot. But at the end of that summer, I met you outside Villa Park for the new season. Open arms, big smile, and you just slapped me across the face. <laughs> I'd be disappointed and I'd be fucking angry if you told me you were now going to be hanging out with Tarquin from now on because he has a Trinity box and he was a has a booking for the Ivy at 8 o'clock and the helicopter's ready to go after the game. I would think you were a fucking knobhead. There are loads of things to be disappointed about with Jack and loads of things to be angry about and chief among them is his insistence that if a Champions League comes club comes in, he could go. Like, that is a real scumbag move. There is no commitment there. Why were we all led to believe that signing the contract was a show of his love for the club last year? Like, Jack Grealish is so good. Having a clause like that in was a guarantee that he was leaving this summer. But also just the lack of vision for his own club and not wanting to be the driving force and the poster boy of that. Yeah. The person who would deliver it. I think it's really surprising. But even the absence of clarity in his thought process to not see the trajectory of the club. Yeah. I mean, for somebody with a supposed encyclopedic knowledge of football. Oh, what? Did he not know that when he started for us last year, our points per game would have had us finishing fifth? I mean, for, for a man with such a, a penchant for t- retweeting his own stats from who scored or goal, you'd think he'd know that. It was only his own biscuit shins 
that kept us from being really competitive for his completely unrealistic goal that he essentially set for us with that release clause. He wanted us to go from staying in the league because someone forgot to turn on the goal line technology to setting to getting into the Champions League the next season. Mm. And that was with fucking Ross Barkley stinking up the place. <laughs> Let's ban talk of Ross Barkley for this season. <laughs> We'd all be better off for it. And like that's um it's it's the anger that does prevail through a lot of this because if Villa had an obvious ceiling, if if Jack Reedish had obviously outgrown them, then he'd leave with your best wishes. But this is a project that has Villa at a place that has never been more exciting in any of our lifetimes. Like, and the fact that he would walk away from that and say exciting times ahead for Villa as he's walking away from it, it, it does go to show just how much that commitment and loyalty was lacking. And the club actually loved him that much that they were happy to let all of us believe that he was just committing to the club for the love of it. And I'm happy for him to enjoy that status that he enjoyed this year about how much he loves Aston Villa. I'm sure like I'm sure he does love Aston Villa. He's been a great servant. But the fact that he's walked away to go to City, walked away as it's so so close to like and he would have been the one obviously tipping it over the edge. Big signings. Like they would it would have been looked after by the owners. He could have made some demands. He could have said, Can we get him and him? And they'll say, We'll see what we can do. This this is the annoying thing about like going to England. Going up to the England camps, he hangs out with Mason Mount and, and whoever else, and, and and suddenly like it's like he gets jealous very quickly because these boys are playing with Chelsea and playing in the Champions League. They're playing like the Champions League is a class competition, but it's a class competition for a few months in the year, and, and like most of them don't make it to the final rounds and stuff like it's 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 all rose tinted glasses looking through that and this culture of trophies that has crept in. To the, to the media, most importantly, but into these players as well now, where they believe that if they don't gather up as many of these little medals as possible, then they are failures. It's it, it's become Americanized, where people just have to round up as much accolades as they can, otherwise they'll never be respected. And I blame the media mostly for this. I know I've given out about the media before, and there is hypocrisy, like what we've mentioned before, of of how outspoken most of the English football journalists were about the Super League and, and uh, how ironic it is then that they're very happy and very willing to not judge a player properly until he plays for a so-called Super League team. But, I, and I know they'd laugh at me every time I mentioned this. Like, you know, they would sort of just scoff and be like, ah, oh, you know, what, what would he know? There he goes again. Because I am actually sure as well that they're not, they're not consciously pushing an agenda. They're not saying, let's get all the players to the top six teams. This is why they'll think I'm being very stupid and very naive saying this. But it's definitely subconscious because A, they all support a top six team. And B, right, the, the reality is, those t- I say top six, we know, like, we don't have to clarify that, but Arsenal and Spurs aren't top six. <laughs> <laughs> but B, those teams, because Arsenal and Spurs are in London and big fan bases in London, they like they move the dial for the media. Like when they do a story on them, they do well. So subconsciously now, everything that these journalists talk about in football is relative to the top six teams because that's what's working for them. And they might not be doing it deliberately, but no, it's very natural they fall into that. Like, you know, if if we're talking about Jack Grealish, wouldn't the story do way better if we can ring somebody in Spurs and see what he thinks of him? 
And it's just that over and over. And like, I, I, honestly, I, I get more and more angry when I see people talk about Super Leagues and give out about it and continue to do this with the, the big six in England. Yeah, it's absolutely pathetic. I mean, there's a real fatalism attached to transfers like this. You know, sure, that's the way it is. That's the way the world works. Yeah, yeah it is. And it's shit. So show your dissatisfaction, protest. Like your pals in the media should be writing columns about the inequalities, the disregard for fairness and competition. Yeah. They should be exposing the human rights abuses just lurking in the background, the sports washing. And instead, all we get is an incessant fetishization of big money transfers. You know, look at Man City's incredible first 11 with Grealish and Kane. Yeah. No, look at their second 11 because that's where the problems are. Yeah. I mean... A lot of this is because these people, these journalists, are so pathetic. They can't think of something to write that would be worth reading. They have nothing to offer. So get a new job. We don't need to create this narrative that signing players, Man City signing players, is good. It's absolute bollocks. And the trophy thing, sure, these same plonkers, similar people like them, have said Messi needed to win the World Cup to be considered the best ever. What are you talking about? Needs to win the World Cup? As if Messi can control how good the Argentine national team is. <laughs> and the people people might think there's a contradiction between us giving out about Man City and and every other fan like us whinging and demanding transfers for their own club. But there is no contradiction here because every other club has gaping holes in their squad. Yeah. This isn't the same as me asking for Cam last year and saying Smith needs to sign some players before we can start demanding Europe. Like, imagine winning the title and getting to the Champions League final and saying, right, all I need now to push on are the two best attackers in the league that don't play for us. Pathetic. McMahon City squad is complete. There are two equally good players in every position, if we acknowledge the fact that Pep Guardiola has no interest in a striker. I mean, it's only if Ederson or De Bruyne are missing that people would comment. I mean, if they're not missing, nobody fucking knows that they're not I playing the strongest eleven. Would not notice, like you, you yeah. wouldn't know. They can make they can make eight changes and nobody would bat an eyelid. Sterling for Foden, Rodri for Fernandinho, Mendy for Sinchenko, Cancelo for Walker, Laporte for Stones, Silva for Gondoyan, fucking Grealish for Mares. It doesn't matter. The team is no stronger or weaker. And we saw this play out during the year. City just relied on different players at different times. Gundogan, Foden, Mares, Sterling, Torres even, they all had insane purple patches at different parts of the season. Sure, do you remember fucking Cancelo was the best player in the world for about six weeks? Yeah. And we were all told Pep Guardiola was a genius for spending 60 million on a second choice right back. (laughs) I mean, his teams play brands of football that a lot of people love and his teams are trying to score when they have the ball. He's definitely a good coach. His teams play good football, but we don't really know if he's a good manager. And I actually mean that. We don't know because he has nothing to manage. Yeah. I mean, he has been allowed to completely de-risk the game for himself. He doesn't have to worry about fitness or injuries. He doesn't have to worry about form. He doesn't have to worry about systems or how he's going to get through a season when injuries take their toll because he can just play a different set of players. He can just pick the 11 players at peak fitness and peak form. It's absolutely bonkers. And yet it's going to happen now, like uh, when Grealish starts for England and, and reveals himself, as he already has, as England's best player. Pep will be the one to get the credit for that. And because, and we've already seen it, Grealish is not a complete player 
they quote most of the English media now at the minute and now he just needs to work on their pep to become a complete player. Like so much so that, you know, there's this fetishization about the idea that he could play as number eight. He played number eight for three seasons with Villa. <laughs> Fucking Steve Bruce played him number eight. Like, that's how obvious it is. Like when it, and, and, and it's the exact equivalent playing with Villa in the championship. It's not even it's it's a it's it's a bigger it's a bigger gap. Man City playing in the Premier League is a is a bigger advantage than Villa playing in the championship. He could of course he could do it. He could play number eight on a team that has eighty percent of the ball. And <laughs> No requirement to defend, and he's already done it. But like, it doesn't matter. Like, Guardiola is going to get the credit for that. But there is, um, it's it's, it's an interesting one, though, isn't it? Like, I, you know, Pep's obviously a good coach. Grealish is obviously a great player. It, it'll it'll probably still work anyway. But I I just think they're a match made in hell for each other because Guardiola is a control freak. Like he's talked before about Foden needing to. Add and the word he used was pausa to his game because he was talking about needs to know when to slow it down and speed it up and change the pace of the game. Whatever makes sense, but Grealish is a is a free spirit. No, I mean that in a sense that like Grealish is a is one of the most selfless players in the way he brings players into the games. But he brings the players into the game through his own methods, you know, and just working instinctively and seeing what's in front of him. If Guardiola is going to be there trying to trying to micromanage his every move, I, I just don't think Grealish is going to enjoy it. And if he can't enjoy sitting on the bench for the last two minutes against Newcastle, how is he going to enjoy sitting on the bench every other game for City? Yeah, I mean, it, it is definitely an interesting question because he clearly was pissed off. Not in a, not in a throwing his toys out of the pram sort of a way for England. He just, he just did not like it. So he's obviously backing himself a lot to, to just be playing every game, but that doesn't happen. Why would Guardiola do that? If Grealish is anywhere near the red zone, he'll not be playing for Man City. Yeah. Have you ever seen a Man City player with a bandage on? <laughs> they don't. They don't have it. They don't have to tighten up their muscles because they can just relax their muscle and let Bernardo Silva play. I mean, Pep Guardiola gets praised for essentially taking a player, taking a year out of a player's career to teach them how to play his one system. Like he shouldn't be able to do that. He shouldn't be able to sign a player for sixty million and just wait it out for a year. What is the fucking point of a squad that has Bernardo Silva as their seven for eight best yeah. attacking midfielder? It's absolutely mad. And there's a double robbery there. When you allow teams to collect players like this, you're just killing competition. But you're also robbing people of the chance to see these players every week. The league is much better when Grealish played for Villa because Villa are better and we get to see Grealish every minute of the competition. But Grealish gave up on that that project of Villas and that dream of Villas and I suppose the, the challenge as well. Like it's, it's easier for him now. He'll be playing with, with better players. Like You can say the standard is going to be higher um, playing in the Champions League, but the best Champions League teams are in the Premier League. He was playing against them every week anyway. <laughs> no, he needs to be tested against FC Michelin before we'll finally know if Jack Grealish is any good. <laughs> Imagine one European night at Villa Park. like That will... Like you know, anything that he could do with Man City will pale in comparison to what one night of European football Villa Park would have been like. And and it, I don't even like when people say to me, "Oh, one League Cup at Villa Park, or Villa would have meant so much more." Villa are looking for more than one League Cup. They're looking for more than one European night. I'm just saying, like it would have been so much better if you had to just. I would honestly, and I, I'm trying to remove myself from being so involved in this and being so selfish with this. But if I was him, genuinely, at 25, 
best player in the world can well, one of them can, can command any salary I want. I would have stayed at least one more year to see how this was going. Like Villa have gone from like you say staying up because the goal line technology wasn't turned on to a really exciting, really great mid table team, but mid table in a sense of they were from eighth to twelfth mid table. Like they they were that's exactly mid table. Don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, like they were, they were looking at pushing on and they looked like they could have if Greece had a state fit the whole time. So if the jump was that big from one season to the other, why would they not say, hang on, I'm just going to wait this out for one more year. And if it's if we're not getting any further, if West Ham are still ahead of us next year, then I'm 26, I'll go then. And look, he's obviously just bought in so much to that beautiful music that plays every Tuesday and Wednesday night. That's all it is. But also into this belief that a man who in 15 years of management hasn't figured out how to beat a low block without Lionel Messi in his team. I mean, like this idea that he has to go to Pep Guardiola, who's lost six times to Solskjaer, for fuck's sake. I mean, Solskjaer, whose greatest achievement is to convince a squad to finish second, and then he spent $400 on, and that squad's fan base, that they're so shit that they have to congest their own box for 90 minutes and hope the ball pops out to Fernandes, hope he can find Rashford over the top, and hope that Rashford wins a penalty. I mean, this is this is a man who who has destroyed Pep Guardiola on numerous occasions, and last year was the worst Champions League in a long time. And maybe that's what Grealish is thinking as well. Maybe he's thinking if I go to City, we will just win it because I will improve improve them. What? Last, go on, go on. No, what what is the 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 fascination with it? Like, I get that you would want to win the Champions League, right? But I don't get why you would throw everything else away to play in that one game like Grealish right it's, it's not a profile thing it's not an England thing Grealish is England's best player and he's actually the most loved player in England right now or well a couple a couple of days ago as an Aston Villa player he didn't need to make a move to a club that nobody cared about to to make that jump on his profile yeah it's 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 bizarre it's it's baffling and you're right all the best teams play in England anyway the champions of Europe Liverpool and Man City, they're the three big teams. Like Barcelona are a shambles and they were last year. Real Madrid's best player last year was their worst player back when they were actually good. <laughs> Bayern Munich were partying last year. Liverpool had eight players. By the time the final rolled around, Chelsea's manager had been in the job four months. Man United's manager apparently needs four years and 400 million before he can be expected to improve them. Like <laughs> last year was a bad year for European football. It was the worst field that I can remember. And the most backed manager in the history of the game couldn't get the job done. And the, the, the whole thing around Pep Guardiola is, is part of the reason why Grealish has left. This idea that he's a genius. I mean, even think about what people said after the Champions League final. Pep Guardiola overthought it. Yeah. Think about how kind that language is. I know it's intended as an insult, but it's still very kind language. He thought too much. He didn't think too much. He didn't overthink it. He thought about it and he fucked it up. He thought about it badly, incoherently, with no rationality or logic. He cocked up a manager four months in the job with no players that he had signed himself, had a better idea of what he wanted to do, about how best to set up his team, about how to beat the opposition. Pep Guardiola failed. And then he went to his owners and said, here, put your pen down, stop writing laws, making it illegal to be gay for a second. I know you've already given me 900 million to sort out this title winning squad that I inherited, but let's just call it a billion. Can I have Grealish, please? It's fucking pathetic. 
All right, let's park the Grealish chat there for now. We'll come back and chat about some of Villa's transfers coming in. Been a good summer, actually, in fairness. Well, we've lost Jack Grealish, so there's a <laughs> there's a big deficit there. But Emmy Buendia, Leon Bailey, Danny Ings, Ashley Young, Twan Zabi, Axel Twan Zabi, like that's that's great business. Like the five great players who you would have dreamed about bringing in to bolster the squad. Like we're we're already talking there, and I know it's a joke, but like you know, Watkins did go off injured today, and we did say only a few weeks ago towards the end of last season that we cannot be relying on Watkins just not getting injured again for a full season. <laughs> Suddenly you've got a really lethal striker there, you know. When Watkins getting injured is still a massive deal. Don't hope he's not injured, but um, you know, it, it means you're not hamstrung. It means you're not just hoping Wesley ever comes good. You know, and he suddenly had just more options. Twan Zabi's coming in. Let's talk about him first. He's just come in today. I think this is a great one for Villa, and a really weird one from his point of view. (laughs) For us, we've got a top class centre half now ready to step in. We've got him and Courtney House as your backup centre halves. Like that, that's brilliant. That's four good centre halves. But he's not going to play that much. I I would have thought he would have played more United. Look, no one else seems to know how good Kanz is, so why would we expect that Axel Twanzebi would know how good Kanz is? <laughs> it, it is it's, a, it's an absolutely brilliant sign for us. He's desperation cover at right back as well if we needed it. And yeah. also, it gives us the flexibility to play three at the back. And also, yeah. and if House or Mings are injured, we're not, we're not fucking bringing in Elmo now to sit in the bench in, in the hope that there's no problems in defence. Yeah, we've we've got Twan Zabu and come on and play centre half, which is it's a, it's a fantastic signing for us. And you're right, I think it is a particularly strange one for him because as good as he was for us two years ago, he was never at Esri Kansas level. Yeah, and and he just, he just needs to play again to prove that. Like I I just would have thought, uh, where he's coming from probably is he really really enjoyed the Villa, loved Dean Smith. Love the fans had a great season personally and obviously as a team like we got promoted um so he's got fond memories there and he's probably thinking that's where i need to go to rekindle that Do you know he's, he's thinking about it through those tinted glasses as well but it's yeah the circumstances aren't the same anymore like and i just thought he would just be crying out to go somewhere where he's going to play 38 premier league games like you know I can't even think who their centre halves are now but a crystal palace or something like that i thought was just tailor-made for him to go there and, and be the man and then have United fans whinging once their season's collapsing? Like, why, why aren't we bringing in Twan Zabi the way they were doing it with Dean, Dean Henderson? Yeah, it, it's, it is it is bizarre for him. And particularly because he went back to United from Villa. He Like, that was an intentional decision for him, which worked out well for us because then we signed Ezri Kanza. But he went back there bouncing. You know, he thought he was, he was going to be yeah. playing for Man United. And it didn't work out for him for some reason. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I'm sure there's plenty of reasons that we can all imagine, fancied Victor Lindelof over him. But any time I saw Twins AB play for United, he was he was still very, very good. Played that European game that got everybody excited um, and they all realised that, that he was very good. And I was like, yeah, he's been there the whole time, but he just hasn't been, hasn't been playing. But anyway, great signing. Welcome aboard. <laughs> I hope he does get plenty of game times, but I don't want Mings or Konza being injured ever, but... Um, I, I do like that option of having three at the back as well. And yet again, like you know, having Mings as well, or Ings, this is going to be a problem this season. Having Danny Ings up top, it gives you that that flexibility if you want to change stuff as well. So even if Bailey, Buendia, 
Ings, Watkins aren't all playing. And like it looked like maybe that's the way they're looking at it from the preseason game today, but I don't want to look into preseason games, but they were playing a 4-4-2 or a 4-2-4, whatever way you want it. And that means you could play those front four. But it just means you have that option of changing things up. Like it's it's not just moving Watkins out to the wing. You can actually bring somebody on alongside Watkins who's lethal as well. You can bring three at the back. You can play a five three two, a three five two, a three four three. Um yeah, it's it's a it's a great signing from our point of view. Uh Emmy Bundia, Leon Bailey, and Danny Ings as a replacement for Jack Grealish, as Christian Purcell would say. Do you think do you think you're getting enough from what Grealish is what we're losing from him? I mean, it's an interesting way he talks about it in the aggregate that you'll you'll get the same, and perhaps you will, but you can only play two of them at the same time. Yeah. You, you can't, you know, all three of them aren't going to play. So it was a, it was an interesting way to think about it. Uh, the thing that they won't get from it is is the absolute chaos that Jack Grealish caused for the opposition. I mean, Jack Grealish created four chances a game, and that was without taking any set pieces. And Jack Grealish was, as we all know, is a special player, and that is very difficult to replicate. That's off the scales. That's miles ahead of anybody in the league from open play, never mind for Aston Villa. It's difficult to see how those players can be expected to do that. And that is the other thing. I mean, you're right, we have made five sign-ins in positions that we needed sign-ins in, which is great. I mean, the people making the decisions are obviously thinking clearly. But Bailey and Bundia... They look great and I am excited, but they are, to a certain degree, unknown quantities. I, I think they will be. My money would be on them being successful. But we do have to be prepared for the fact that there there is a chance that they won't be and that it might, or that it might take them a bit of time to acclimatise at the very least. I mean, Mendoia was, was fine two years ago in the Premier League and he was absolutely electric last year in the Championship. But not everyone is Ollie Watkins. And transition isn't normally as smooth as Ollie Watkins made it look. So I'm just hoping that Buendia, if he's injured as well, that really adds to it. You wanted him to come flying into the new season as well as Villa's main man, the guy that was going to make it all all right again. And it's just annoying that he seems to have a hip injury and it's hampering him a little bit. I I don't... They'll obviously not replace Jack even together, but it does mean that we've got a lot more options. I mean, even if you look at the bench today, it was... If we had... We had young Ramsey, Chuck Wemeka and Trory on the bench all of a sudden and Buendia is not even there, but Bailey's not there. I mean, that is actually options, not just, not just looking at the bench and saying, fuck, I better just throw on Wesley in the 86th minute. <laughs> you know, now we've actually got players that we can bring on to change a game, which is something that was severely lacking last year. Yeah. And whenever, whenever Grealish was out, everyone was crying out for it. We all knew we needed wingers because... As much as I love El Golzi and as much as I love Bertie T, they can't be relied on every week. And you wouldn't expect that from anybody. But now that we don't have to rely on them, it's such yeah. a fucking relief. And I see Young came on today on the wing as well, which is an interesting one to, to watch out for. Look, Young's a great signing. We said this at the time. We needed a leader. We need to cover it left back. If you cover it right back as well, we need it. And he gives you an, an extra option on the on the flanks too so like he's a he's a no-brainer but i'll tell you one thing that buendia bailey ings young twanzebe have in common not one of them is a fucking center midfielder and i no. thought that was the priority like like and we've gotten this jack Grealish money don't tell me you're spending so far because it's not because we i assume we were going to be spending anyway 
So where is the 40, 50 million for Basuma? Gain him in, drop him into the centre midfield, tell everybody else, don't worry about it. Like I know there's, there's a, a split camp out there when it comes to Nakamba, but you know, like, if we were all being honest, even Nakamba fans, if you were offered somebody like Basuma or you know, if you, if you go through the, the best options, the the market leaders as such, if, if you were offered Fabinho or Ndidi or somebody like that to drop in and control proceedings in the heart of your midfield, surely you would say, yeah, get him in. Because that not only changes how we can play, it not only gives us a a, a better protection, it seems somebody to mince boys who are coming through, not to have to be wide open like we were last year, and somebody to take the ball when everybody else is freaking out. Like Villa didn't, dominate possession in most of the games last year like that's that's a worry it's on smith said he wants to address you can't address it unless you're going to change your midfield and have boys who come and demand the ball and control the game give me that center midfielder take the grealish money and go out and spend big yeah there can be absolutely no doubt about it that aston villa need a defensive midfielder you're right it completely changes how we can play it's insane to think how much of last season we just stumbled on with McGinn and Dougie as a two-man midfield. Yeah. When I don't think I don't think either of them are particularly suited to the role, and certainly not together, and definitely not with Ross Barkley in front of them. I mean, Villa's Villa's current crop have to play free in the middle. If we don't sign a midfielder, we have to play free in the middle. I think Dean was seduced, as we all were, with how well Dougie did during Project Restart, but that was in a three. I think he's worth playing there in certain games with McGinn and Ramsey or Sanson to his side, but it's not strong enough for a full season and certainly not for the big games. A defensive midfielder changes the way Villa can play and it gives us variability. I mean, we can more comfortably play with the two and the one in front. And when we play a three as well, it gives John McGinn the freedom he desperately needs and was lacking the last yeah. the last season to flourish. Like John McGinn is not a centre midfielder. He's a box-to-box midfielder that needs someone trustworthy next to him. And <laughs> Douglas Louise has many things, but he's not trustworthy. Neither John McGinn or Douglas Louise can be trusted with the ball. I mean, with a, with a new defensive midfielder, I would still have concerns about playing McGinn next to him. It has to be Dougie for me against the bigger teams. And you can think about playing McGinn in front of them, which was kind of successful last year. We have McGinn sitting in front doing most of the pressing and dropping back in to make it tight. But John McGinn and Douglas Louise cannot be our starting midfield at the start of the season. That's why it's going to be Nakamba and John McGinn. <laughs> and that's the worry. I mean, that's the other thing you can see, how, how useful a player like that is. Because Nakamba is terrible. He's absolutely he's not even particularly good at being a defensive midfielder and he's atrocious on the ball. But Villa played a lot better with him in there so often last year because it freed up McGinn. There was somebody who was just always yeah. kind of in the right position. And it just gives you that protection that Villa were so desperately missing last year. Villa started the season incredibly well. And we talked about, we were so excited about it, how, like, how many players on the pitch were willing to take risks. But it was like the fucking Jamaican bobsleigh team. And there, there we are setting records in the first the first four turns, you know, beating Liverpool 7-2. We were flying. We were going <laughs> to smash it. We were going to bring back the goal. But then, sure enough, we went flying off over the top of the fucking the track, lost 3-0 to Leeds, and then it was just up and down, up and down all season because they just couldn't be trusted. It was a fucking lottery when any of them got the ball. The risk-taking became 
such a fucking risk. It was unbelievable because yeah. it just wasn't coming off anymore. There's balls getting flung, flung out of play nonstop. And we need someone, like you say, to bring back that level of calmness whenever John McGinn starts lashing 70 field passes to nobody. <laughs> like McGinn's best game is is being free to, to to get up to the opposition box and just make a make a use of himself on the ball, be a ball of energy, be a wild card, and then also off the ball, be free to just go and be a rat around the pitch. Like you know, you look at that Scotland against England game, he he's let off the leash in a way that's actually way more protective of the team because he's not just sitting there trying to mind the house because he can't do that. He's just free to go and like just go and annoy people. Go bite the ball back. Go win it high up. He wins that ball high up better than most people people do. So you have to let him go do that. And a good midfielder will not only uh, be a rock in the team and change how the team plays, but it could make John McGinn 10 times better. And that would be... If you tell me that we're losing Grealish, that's obviously irreparable and like you know it's it's always going to sting but we're bringing in Buendia, Bailey, Ings, Young, Twanzebe and a rock at centre midfield what a summer that would be go get him Wes Edens go get him yeah and, and look the last three years for Leicester City really provide solace for clubs on the way up clubs of breakout players that are just harvested by the cannibals at the top Leicester sold Mares for 60 million three years ago and they brought in Johnny Evans, Madison and Pereira for that money. They robbed Man United of 80 million for Maguire and they brought in James Justin, Perez, Tielemans, Pratt. They somehow got 50 million for Chilwell and they used that money to get Castagna and Fafana. The, the poor bastard. Yeah. But like, you know, Mares, Maguire and Chilwell aren't comparable to Grealish in terms of ability or impact on a team. But teams can recover yeah. and even improve when they lose their best players. And Aston Villa have made some exciting signings. Signings that are so ex- so exciting that if Jack was still there, I think we were guaranteed top six. But without him, we'll, I think we'll be challenging. We'll be in the pack. We'll have a sustained challenge. And with luck, doggedness, John McGinn and the bounce of a ball. With, you know, Ollie Watkins hitting the net instead of the woodwork seven times. I mean, that's just luck that won't happen. That was bad luck that we won't get this year. Ollie Watkins' armpit was caught offside about four times last year. Yeah. I mean, we could still finish 11th again, but we'll be competing. And that's where you see the progression. Like Villa were a nailed on mid table team last season after January. The next step is to be competitive in the race for Europe. That's how you measure the progression, like not in your final position. Villa went from a relegation battle team to a mid table team. The next step is competing for Europe and maybe or maybe not getting it. We could have a West Ham season. But then the following season, that's Europe. And like that's not fall into the trap that Man United fans have of looking solely at the number on the table and seeing progress. Man United's ambition with the size of the club and the money they've spent, it has to be competing for and winning the title. And Man United were as competitive for the title last year when they finished second as they were the year before when they finished third. And that is not competitive. I mean, it's irrelevant where United finished there. They were never in contention for the title. The same way that is kind of irrelevant where Villa finished last year. They were always just a mid-table team. This year, the 10-point gap up to the European places just has to be shallower and it has to be a sustained push for that place all year. It's a very competitive pack that they're in as well. So it's, it's going to be a hell of a season. I think it's, it should be an interesting one at the top of the table if Liverpool 
are back to themselves. City spending widely again, and you have Chelsea, obviously the Champions League winners, and United, who I think will finish fourth. But like you know, we've got a good enough team to go and challenge. And then I think outside that, it's going to be such a rush for fifth, sixth, seventh. Like there's six, seven great teams in there as well. It's um, it's a tough job for Villa, and it brings me to a new section we're going to introduce this season. The Ron Saunders, do you want to bet against us? Quote of the week. <laughs> I'll read it for you here. Villa want to become an established top 10 side like Arsenal. My manager, <laughs> Dean Smith. Oh, it's absolutely magical. It's it's magical, but it's also true because let's, 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 be, let's not beat around the bush. That's what Arsenal are. Again, getting into the top 10 doesn't really matter. It's about being in the top 10 and pushing the teams above you. That's where Villa will see the progression. If we're doing what Arsenal are doing and just, you know, being irrelevant, that would be really fucking upsetting as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. That would be no progress. That would just be bouncing around between 7th and 10th. Who gives a fuck? We'll break there and we'll come back with some questions we can't answer. Good evening. I wanted to speak directly to our supporters to confirm the transfer of our captain, Jack Greedlish. And now we've been gutted. Organ donors for the rich. Boston's taking our kidneys. Yankees have taken our heart. And to explain the background to this move. It's an unfair game. We offered Jack a new contract to stay at the club. Like this is business as usual. It's not. We agreed to incorporate a so-called release clause into his contract. Billy, that's trouble. Billy, if I may, uh, he certainly has had his problems off the field. Jack finally decided that he would like to go to City. We're trying to solve the problem here, Billy. Not like this, you're not. You're not even looking at the problem. We have planned accordingly. We've got to think differently. It was never our intention to replace Jack with one footballer. Guys, you're still trying to replace Gian. I told you we can't do it. We can't do it. Our strategy was to analyze and break down Jack's key attributes. Now, what we might be able to do is recreate him. Recreate him in the aggregate. What? A what? His creativity, his assists, his goals. That's what we're looking for. And to find these qualities and others, in three forward players. Three ball players, three ball players. And in doing so, have also reduced an over-dependency on one brilliant footballer. Add that up and you get... Emiliano Buendia, Leon Bailey and Danny Ings. They truly are the future. If we try to play like the Yankees in here, we will lose to the Yankees out there. I don't know what that means. I've got another new section for you, Liam. Jesus Christ, this is exciting times. <laughs> Imagine young Barry and Milner stayed sliding doors. <laughs> Every week, I'll pick a moment of imagine, you know, what if the things that change or things that we got away with. And I'll tell you what the greatest thing that ever happened to Aston Villa was. Losing the playoff final to Fulham. And I'm going to go through like what, what, what might have been and, and how much of a sliding doors moment this was in the history of Villa and the, like the eventual trajectory of the club. So 
imagine they get promoted they beat Fulham in that game like Jack Grealish's run through the entire pitch at Wembley resulted in a goal you know like rather than making a balls remember remember <laughs> it would have been the greatest goal of all time like, again we've had this a lot with Grealish where he made a balls of it then like you know, instead of just putting it away but imagine he did just put that away get the equalizer Villa go on to win Tony Zia stays and that's already <laughs> that's already a fucking catastrophe his gamble is paid off but you know he's not going to cash in those chips is he he's going to keep doubling down and keep gambling <laughs> Steve Bruce stays okay Jack Reedish leaves that summer because Daniel Levy actually bids property it's not fucking Josh Anuma and a batter sausage <laughs> And also, Nasef and Wes don't come in to say, right, you're not having Grealish. Like, Tony Z is like, yeah, yeah, take Grealish for 20 million. That'd be great. <laughs> so, Grealish is gone. Spurs push on. Like, did he, did he win the Champions League that season? I, I don't think so. But <laughs> but, but there, there's a bit of a renewed energy in the squad. So, Pochettino stays. The squad's gradually being refreshed. And Grealish is changing the dynamic of the club because... Don't forget, he's immediately called into the England squad now because he's a Spurs player. So Mourinho can't fall down the Spurs. Spurs aren't an option. And as the first episode with Poch promised it would be, the rest of the Tottenham Hotspur All or Nothing Amazon Prime documentary is the biggest, most boring waste of everyone's time. (laughs) Mourinho gets sacked in December like he does anyway from United. Villa, a relegation fodder at this stage. Steve Bruce is crying out to be put out of his misery. Mourinho doesn't know where to turn, but he sees an impressionable owner at a big club. Tony Zia takes another gamble, rolls the dice. Jose Mourinho comes in in December, spends $50 million to bring Fred, his summer signing at United, with him from Old Trafford in January. Probably convinces Zia to give him a shitload more money. Villa get relegated, probably liquidation, minus 10 points to start the new season. Never, ever recover. <laughs> In a last desperate attempt towards the end of the season, Jose Mourinho recalls Ross McCormack from his loan at Central Coast Mariners. <laughs> I, I can't believe I forgot that. I, I actually looked up Ross McCormack. <laughs> <laughs> because, so this would be going into the, like Villa get relegated 2018-19 instead of getting promoted like they did. And Ross McCormack still has one more year left on his contract. <laughs> so, so Jose Mourinho is now relying on this guy to fire him forward. And you, and you think the doctor would stand by Jose Mourinho having overseen the relegation? <laughs> doctor. Grim, grim days. But um, any shouts for that? Just give us a, give us a hit up on, on the Villa podcast at Twitter. All right, questions we can't answer, but probably will. Why didn't Messi just take a pay cut instead of whinging? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a good question. I mean, I think there's probably better questions around Barcelona's decisions over the last couple of years. I mean, like, why did they spend their Neymar money on Philip Coutinho, Osmani Dembele? Why did they sign Griezmann when he was finished? Like, you know, they've, they've made some bizarre choices. They gave Frankie de Jong 400 grand a week after he had one good season at Ajax. Jeez. Now, I know he's going to be a very good player, but that's just fucking insane stuff. Like, and... The whole of Barcelona has been a disaster. They've been completely mismanaged. It's absolutely pathetic. And they've sort of got a salary cap over there as well. Yeah. But like not in any sort of real sense. I mean, I think 
Barcelona spend twice as much in wages as Atletico Madrid do. So I'm not really sure what what the salary cap is doing. But you know, salary cap is actually is actually a way forward if you want to stop this from happening as well. If you want to stop these idiotic owners from shooting for the stars far too much. I mean, if you said that every team had a salary cap of whatever it is, 150 million, then all of a sudden, you know, Bernardo Silva plays for Everton, Mason Greenwood plays for Villa, yeah, and you know, Timo Werner plays for Swansea. Just top class British players would play for Europe or might play in Europe because there isn't as much room for them, or they might actually just play for their clubs. Players might be more likely to continue to play in countries like France and Netherlands and improve those leagues and so the European competitions. And there there are obviously things you would have to do. So that perverse outcome of generating super profits for owners is avoided. Like I don't know, the introduction of cap ticket prices, the cost of a number of jerseys that can be released and a better distribution of the TV money across everybody in the Premier League and the structures that underpin it and sustain the competition all the way down to five a side. You know? like none of these things will happen, of course. Yeah. So a wage cap is a fucking stupid idea. <laughs> but like, that's the thing that they have in the NBA as well. Everyone shouts on about the draft, which obviously wouldn't work in, in global football. But they have a salary cap, which means that all the best players are scattered around the league. And not because of the draft, but because you can only afford to really pay for one superstar. Like you're doing really well if you're paying for two or three, but then they build their team around those superstars. And like that, that's what would happen. Like that's a great example. Like, you know, Bernardo Silva playing with Everton, Greenwood and Villa, these guys commanding big wages then, like at these different clubs, because they're not going to get it being 15th choice at United or being 27th choice at City. You know, and, and like then you suddenly have a way better league all over Europe. But the messy thing, like, is obviously the salary cap. It's almost a way out for for him and Barcelona, and that people are saying like, "Oh, you know, if La Liga didn't have that, then Messi could stay." We could all he could also take a pay cut. Like the, the the reports were that Messi was going to half his wages to stay at Barcelona, and he was getting he was getting kudos for that. <laughs> but what he was also getting was a contract that was double in length. So he was still saying that I want this amount of money and I'm just going to play for you for a bit longer. I know that is half the wages, but he's still asking for that chunk of money. Like that's what he obviously values himself as. Um, and obviously, like, you know, obviously he does deserve whatever he wants. He's Lionel Messi, but it just means he's going to end up at PSG, which is going to be the most boring transfer of all time. Like, you know, the only thing more boring probably would have been Man City, but that would have been exciting because it would have been the Premier League. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and it, it is depressing to think that Neymar, Mbappe and Messi are all playing, not just in the French League, which no one gives a flying fuck about, but also in the same team in that shit league. It's it's just it's insane stuff. Yeah. Like what what a waste of time. It's like it's like me playing career mode in FIFA and just rounding up whoever I can, every single transfer window. And just for my own entertainment. And I guess what's yeah. happening in the French League. It's like being Man City. Yeah, like the the example I thought of was being Man City in career mode, and then having <laughs> Bale and Ronaldo and Aguero and Messi. I had all these players in the same team. <laughs> um, last one. What did Harry Kane think was going to happen? <laughs> you know, and actually, I, I hate this narrative that's come out. Like you know, everyone is is saying. You don't do this to Daniel Levy. You know, we, we, we've talked about Daniel Levy before. He gets far too much credit for being a, a shrewd businessman or or being a, a strong businessman as well. But, like, 
he got three years left in his contract. Like, what? What did he think? Not showing up at training was going to do. And I don't mean from that. Oh, he's pissed off Daniel Levy way. I mean, like, all he stood to achieve is actually make Daniel Levy a bit of money because he's going to find him now a week's wages. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw Jonathan Wilson writing in the Guardian, and I didn't get past the headline or the sub headline if I'm being reason and if I'm being serious. Like the, the reason will become apparent pretty quickly. The headline was. Harry Kane shares the blame, but Spurs' failure to invest led to this outcome. I mean, there are so many things wrong with that, and just whatever, 12 or 13 words, it's almost difficult to know where to begin. Harry Kane does not share the blame for him not turning up to training, except in the event that he was being physically restrained. Like Harry Kane does not share the blame for being stupid enough to take Daniel Levy at his word for thinking he had a gentleman's agreement. Two gentlemen need to be involved for that to be the case. <laughs> Spurs' failure to invest hasn't led to this outcome. It might well have resulted in Spurs not being very good and in Harry Kane becoming annoyed, but it doesn't necessarily lead to this, to somebody throwing their toys out of the trap, pram and not turning up for training. The sub-headline was, Tottenham striker has been criticised, but he has a right to be selfish. Oh. The right to be selfish. We, like, we must have all missed that in the UN declaration. The, the right to equality, freedom from discrimination, the right to life, liberty, personal security, and to be a selfish twat. <laughs> like, of course, of course, Harry Kane may be a selfish twat if he chooses. But if that, but that's not a choice that should be free from criticism. And it's certainly not a choice that should be defended by, in some quarters, a respected journalist. I mean, if you're feeling a bit foggy in the mind, if you're a bit hyped up, if your thoughts aren't as clear, writing them down should help with it. Like, taking the time to think the situation through and put some thoughts on the page should clear the fog. It's absolutely baffling that that didn't work for Johnny. I mean, he was just so misty-eyed that his fair-haired, blue-eyed boy, his England captain, was getting slaughtered that he couldn't see the words on the fucking page. He was so confused between the fact that Harry Wright is right to be pissed off and Harry Kane acting like a child. What a fucking idiot. And it's not just him. Like, there's obviously, with one extreme, is everyone talking about Harry this is so unlike Harry Kane. Like that's the everyday life equivalent of he's not that type of player. He's <laughs> not that type of player until he does break somebody's leg. Then he is that type of player. It's it's unlike Harry Kane until he doesn't show up for training. Then it's very much like Harry Kane, and he does it a week for a full week. Um, and and then what's happened then is that other English journalists have tried to try to navigate it eloquently. So. You know, they're, they're trying to say that they, they can understand why people might think that Kane gets special treatment. Like, don't forget, like, Philip Coutinho did this and he was absolutely hounded. And, and of course, like, you know, it's, 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 it's a shite way of, of behaving when you're being employed. And especially in a, in a profession as emotive and as passionate as football. But, you know, with Kane, it's like, yeah, we can, we can see that people might think this is different, but, and there was always a but, and there was always a, there was always like, it, it's, it's very hard not to have huge sympathy with him. Like, how could anybody have sympathy with 
one of the world's greatest players who's decided that it's in his best interest to employ Charlie Keane as his sole representative. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good question, <laughs> That should have been the question, the question we can't answer, because that certainly is one that I can't fucking answer. <laughs> And yeah, that's it. Um, it is one that will go unsolved. I'd say Harry Kane will have to have to stick it out. He might go next year because if he wanted to run down to one year left in his contract, he, he might get a still over a hundred million on next year. If Man City don't win the league, they'll they'll have to spend big on Harry Kane. Um, <laughs> suck it up! He signed a six-year contract. <laughs> like, you know, Man City don't want you that much, mate. They want the Jack Grealish, and that's the pain that we have to endure. Yeah, and, and look, it is confusing as well because similar to Jack Grealish, it's it's his club. This is supposed to be the club that he loves and to act like such a twat is just baffling. But like I said again, yeah, there's reasons for him to be pissed off, but you don't have to act like this when you're pissed off. You can act with a bit of maturity. You can act like the fucking club captain. And we're back. It's good to be back as well. And we're back for a new season on Saturday against Watford. We'll see you then. If you want to get in touch with us before then, get us on Twitter, The Villa Podcast, or get us on email, thevillapodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening yet again, and do spread the word. We will chat to you next week. All the best. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 